Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. Now, to tell you people, it's uh, it's been windy out here. And what's crazy is, well, first of all, everyone's saying, oh, my God, it's so cold and so windy. And then, of course, when it goes up to 85 on Thursday, they're going to go, I can't believe it's 85. It's November. But the wind, what's scary is I was driving back from Hollywood last night. And I was going over the Coanga Pass. And the Coanga Pass is just this long road. And it's windy. And it has little, like, there was debris everywhere. And a few, like a year ago, when we were at the old studio, I was walking out of the studio and it was really windy. And I almost got hit by a palm tree. Not the actual tree, but like one of those big leaps. And it fell right behind me and made this loud noise. And I was thinking, you know what? Like if I got hit in the head by a palm tree, that, that you, you can't look cool. I mean, at least like Keith Richards, he fell out of the palm tree. He's up there looking for coconuts. If a coconut fell and hit me in the head... That'd be cool. But could you imagine if I went to a bar with a bandage on my head and said I got hit by a palm tree? It would suck. Anyway, <laughs> we have a we have a great show. Uh, it's it's so funny. I, I, me and Joanne were watching, I believe it was Criminal Minds. We were watching one show, and my my guest was on, and I said he looks so familiar. And I went on, of course, like I always do, and I MD beat him. And then I found out he's also a drummer and a photographer. And I hit him up on Facebook, and and he came on. And my guess is Johnny Sneed. How you doing, Johnny? Hey, I'm great. Thanks. Those what do you call those things? The little they're hard, the prawns, or what? Yeah. Do you call, what do you call those? They're not. They're not leaps. Yeah. They're, I I can't think what they are. They're but they're heavy and they're yeah. They, this thing just I swear to God yeah. I just I'm walking I'm waiting to cross Olive <laughs> to get to my car and I hear a boom and I'm like what the and this thing no lie was like a foot behind me and and if it hit hit me it yeah. would have been serious damage. Yeah. I just and I just finished reading uh, the Keith Richards book Life and he talks about falling out of the tree and. uh among other things, I mean, he talks about that. And, uh, I think he says he he it got betrayed as like he was uh you know monkeying around up on some tree, but it, he said he was just trying to go from one limb to the next and it broke or something and he slipped yeah. and it fell. You know, but my feeling is Keith Keith Richards. <laughs> Whatever he does is cool. Yeah, yeah, and he's also he's like he's like uh he's like seventy. Yeah, I think so. And he's climbing up coconut. I mean, I mean, no one like my. Anyone I know who's 70, they're not yeah. climbing up a palm tree. And he was hanging out on some island, you know, with like Ron Wood or something. <laughs> I know. You know. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh... <laughs> so so I got to ask you now. Now, I, I did some reading. Now, you were born in Japan. Is yeah, my true? dad was in the Army. Okay. And, uh, and I was born in Okinawa. And uh, in fact, he and I uh, went back a couple of years ago uh, before the tsunami hit Japan. Uh, and we revisited and found the old house where my parents lived and found the, uh, went to the hospital where I was born and, and sort of made our way up to, uh, Tokyo, kind of stopped in Kyoto and, um, a couple other places on the way up and, uh, had a, just a really great time. But yeah, I was, I was born, I was, uh, my dad was, you know, served in the army for a couple of years and, and, uh, that was it. So that was my first time back since I was a kid and it was really great. Seeing, now, I now, Japan. now, when did you move? How old were you? Oh, probably when I was three or four, we moved back to uh, Mississippi where my parents were from and where I ended up growing up. Um, so I don't, I don't have any recollection of Japan except from slides, you know, that my right. dad, we would watch, you know, flip through slides and see things. But now, now as a kid in Mississippi, because you, you have a, I mean, you, you act, you do photography, mm-hmm. you know, now you grew up in a house of musicians, I believe. Like, I mean, is that, is that where you got this whole creative vibe going? I think, I mean, my dad is, uh, I, I put that in my little IMDB, uh, bio as a sort of a tribute to my, to my mom and dad and sister. But, um, I mean, you know, my dad was in the insurance business and, uh, uh but my mom played piano and played organ in the church and, uh, and my dad was 
a big music fan, and he was a DJ when he was in high school and college, and he just, I think I was just influenced by the place. I was, we grew up an hour east of New Orleans, so I think I just heard, I was just influenced by that sound and by, you know, my dad had all these reel-to-reel tapes. Apparently, he had a bunch of records that were stolen when they moved from Japan to Mississippi, and, um, but they, uh, you know, Otis Redding and Aretha Franklin and, you know, and some country stuff and some records and uh, Richard Pryor records. Uh, but uh, I think I just was influenced by all that, that I heard from them, you know. And, uh, and, 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 and so I, I had some drums in, in high school, but I didn't, I played them on and off through, through the years. And then, but really since I've been in L.A. in the last 15 years, I really got back into playing drums and and started playing more often. Now you're a kid in Mississippi, mm-hmm. and now at and, and you're a tall guy, so yeah. I, don't, I don't know if you played sports, but you're tall. I so, tried. I okay, wasn't no, very good. Because you're what six two, six. I mean, yeah, I'm about six three. I think. Okay, yeah. So you come I'm taller in. than Stashwick. I heard. I heard. I listened to. Okay. I know Todd. I listened to his a little bit of his episode, and he said he was tall or something. But well, I'm taller there, than him. I see. That's good yeah, though, because yeah. it's so funny. There's a few people. Uh, <laughs> that was for you, Todd. Do you know? Do you know uh, Doug Jones? Mm-mm, mm-mm. He's he does a lot of sci-fi stuff. He's like six. Five, yeah, and he's got like a twenty-eight inch waist, and nice. it's one of those things. And he came in, and and when you're that tall and you're that thin, you look so much taller. And I look like a Hummel figure. I mean, I'm sitting there, I'm I'm five ten, but like next to you guys, I'm like, yeah. geez. Yeah. So, so now, now, when did you know you wanted to act? Did you start acting as a kid? Or, I mean, because you were around music. Yeah, and my dad actually did plays. He was a he was in a, a would do plays at a place called Center Stage, and and. Oh, a little closer in uh in Gulfport and uh and so I I would go see some of his plays and then so as a kid I did some children's plays and that was that seemed like so magical to me to be able to uh, dress up and pretend I mean to, to do the things that I was doing in my backyard and to be able to do it on the stage seemed like so incredible and so I was always in love with that idea and I loved movies and and loved that but that was seemed so far out of the realm of possibility and some days it still feels that way uh (laughs) that uh i I never thought of actually being an actor in los angeles or new york or doing that sort of thing that just was not in my uh world you know so i am but i did plays as a kid and loved it and uh and then you know i ended up going to college and went to law school and practiced law for a year. And, you know, I, so I, that was just, I, I sort of came to Los Angeles later in life after doing a couple other jobs, you know? Now, where did you go to college at? Uh, University of Texas in okay, Austin. Okay, so you stayed down there. You were yeah. in Texas and then you went to law school. Went at... to law school back at Ole Miss. Okay. In Mississippi and Oxford. And, uh, and then practiced in Mississippi for a little, for about a year. What kind of law? Uh, we represented insurance companies and, um, and their clients sort of, um, uh, construction accidents and medical malpractice, that sort of thing. And, uh, I, I guess it just wasn't, it wasn't for me. I enjoyed law school and enjoyed the sort of the mental exercise of that, but I did not, I wasn't crazy about being a lawyer. See that that's crazy. Cause you know, you, first of all, you, you got through law school, yeah. you got through the, uh, passed the bar, which is hard. Which I mean, is hard. Most like, yes. I think it's like 80% people fail the first time. <laughs> did you pass the first time? I did pass the first so, time. So you got that, you get a job. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So you're, you're a practicing lawyer, which, you know, you know, in my town where I grew up, you'd be like every girl's dream. Oh, he's a lawyer, you know? <laughs> but so then you sit there and, and I mean, what made you sit there? Cause that it's, it's not, you know, it's not a, 
as big and big it's not as big as a jump if you're working a job that you really hate mm -hmm. and it's like you know you're making you know not that much and you go i really want to be an actor then you you move out to la or you move to new york but here you're in a surrounding where you know cost of living's probably very inexpensive you're you're a lawyer yeah i mean and and that's just that people you know must have thought you know, especially down south, the lawyer, like you always see the John Grisham, yeah, lawyers right, right. are a big thing. I mean, what, what made you what made you decide to do this? I mean, was this something snapper? I mean, because and you really didn't go to school for anything. No, of I know, I know. And I, I, I moved to Dallas actually and worked for a company there, uh, uh, and and that company ended up not working out, and it and I I was following the Owen Wilson and. Wes Anderson, I, they, they filmed a movie called Bottle Rocket right. in Dallas, and I had nothing to do with it, but I just knew about it, and I just was inspired by what they were doing, and I, and I, I, I think I even called a lady at the Dallas Morning News that wrote about entertainment and just, you know, naively asked her, what can I, how can I get, you know, I'm a fan of Bottle Rocket, I see that they filmed it in Dallas, what can I do, and she sort of kindly graciously answered some questions and you know pointed me in a, a direction of a school and a, there was a little local uh thing called katie studios and i you know took some classes there and, and started that way and did, did some improv there in dallas and and got a commercial agent and started going doing commercials and and that sort of thing in dallas but it was just a i just couldn't fathom doing another job i just did i had to try something else basically and and i was at that point and i had like a you know, an early life crisis, I guess, and just wanted to try something else. And, and luckily I've been going ever since, but I always say it takes uh, it, it's a naivete and idealism in equal measure to, to sort of try to pursue acting or whatever you're trying to pursue, you know? So you're in Dallas and you're doing this yeah. and then you have a commercial agent. Mm -hmm. Are you booking commercials? I got to do some commercials. I think my first job was the Dallas morning news delivery guy, which wasn't even a commercial. It was, they, they would, uh, every day in the paper, they would list where I was going to be. And I would drive around in this 57, uh, was it a Thunderbird? I think. And delivering papers and prizes, and people could come sign up to win this Thunderbird that I'm driving around, and I'm dressed like you know Frank Sinatra right. or something, you know, <laughs> this delivery guy, and uh, and so I did that for a couple months, but that was great because I, I mean I was waiting tables, I was doing a little odd jobs, whatever I could do in Dallas, and and so that was great because it freed freed me up to just do that and do auditions and start doing some commercials after that, and. Um, I did an episode of Walker, Texas Ranger. I saw that with your that first was filmed credit. In, in Dallas. That must have been cool. I mean, just yeah, because that's one of those clothes. I, I used to do a joke. I say I, I, there's a, a show I'm gonna make a reality show. It's with uh, the guy from Good Times. It's called Jimmy Walker, Texas Ranger. Nice, but nice. it just but that was a show. I've never really watched it. But that was just like Chuck Norris is like a legend. Yeah, and, right. And I, I unfortunately I didn't get to work with him. But one of you know I got um, sort of kicked in the face. My character got kicked in the face. By one of his, you know, henchmen or one of his guys, I guess. So that was pretty funny. But that was like a rite of passage. It was filmed in Dallas, and so you had to at least do something right. on that show. That was, <laughs> you know. So, so you do that. You get your Texas uh, Walker, Texas Ranger. You have yeah. a few commercials. You're this delivery guy. Uh, yeah. So, so you're you're getting work. You're getting work. So when do you sit there and say, yeah, you know what? There's not a lot of work in Dallas. I mean, you probably did got all the work you pretty much could have. So when do you decide to come to LA? And now, how did your family react? I mean, I, I mean, seeing that 
you were a lawyer and yeah. now you're a delivery guy. I mean, I you, you really weren't a delivery guy for the paper. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? More or less. Yeah. But, uh, they've actually handled it really well. Uh, I mean, I think my dad kept a lot of his thoughts to himself. Actually, now that I, as the years have gone by and we've talked about it, you know, I think he at first was a little, uh, a little perplexed by my decision, but he was, uh, to his credit, very supportive. And, uh, and my mom and, and my sister were very supportive and they were all very excited whenever, you know, I would book a job and they could see me and they would always get a kick out of it. And, um, yeah, so I, <laughs> I think they just let me, they said, okay, this is what he's got to do, you know? And so I, I thought about moving to New York. I love New York. Um, but, I I felt that LA, I could, uh, um, more realistically have a chance to do work. I felt like there were just, there was just more production at the time, uh, in 2001, whenever I was moved out here to, and to live in and work in LA, I felt that that was more achievable than New York. In, in my mind, it felt more doable. Now, where do you start? Because you you had an agent in Dallas, but that's not going to transfer. It's not like if you have no. a New York agent, a lot of times they have an agent over here, yeah, so right. it transfers. Where do you start? Because you're coming out. You know, I mean, you you had some you had some success in Dallas, right? Which is me not. I don't want to say it's meaningless, but it, it doesn't necessarily yeah, out here translate like, into anything. It doesn't. Anything, so no. so where do you, do you sit during? I mean, what do you, do you think? What am I going to do for a job? Had you saved money, or I mean, I, where do you do? I I started I. I think there had been a couple of people from Dallas that had gone, had been in LA and they told me of a workshop or a showcase, you know, where you could uh, get together with other actors and put on these scenes and have people come watch you. And that was how I got a commercial agent out here is doing one of those. And then from meeting someone at one of those, they uh, suggested doing these casting director workshops where you essentially pay to get advice from a casting director or someone from their office and, and you read a, a scene for them. And that made all the difference in the world because that felt to me like, oh, that's something I can actually do and have a face-to-face meeting with someone that is the one, the gatekeeper to call you in. And I know that there over the years has been some, you know, criticism or controversy about it. But to me, it was just a necessary expense, just like headshots or, or anything else. It was just a way to you know, it you you heard from the casting director their perspective. You got what they looked for in actors, and then you were able to then do a scene for them. And then if they liked you, you would get called in. And I think I got a couple of jobs that way. And the and and you know, one thing led to another, and I ended up getting a, a I did another showcase and got a manager, and then then they helped me get a, a theatrical agent and that sort of thing. And and it just kind of went from there. And I've been with the same theatrical agent for years. So, so you got the agent, and I know mm-hmm. I look at your resume. You're doing some little things, and then then you got on the Guardian. Oh yeah, that no, was really nice. Was that like one of your first major roles? Because I'm looking at your IMDb, and there's you know there's except Walker Texas Ranger. <laughs> I mean, there's like it looks it looks like smaller you know smaller projects. Sure. But now I know you've done a lot of commercial work through. Yeah, sure. Were you yeah. getting commercial work back then when you first came out here? Yeah, and I still I still do commercials. I mean, that's a great way. I mean, I that's what keeps me going, you know, is doing those commercials. Um um uh I'm so sorry. What'd you say? What no, was your question? Was Guardian like your first oh, somewhat yeah. the break? Uh, a guy named David Hollander uh was doing that show and I went in for a, a part that I don't think I was right for, but he they were looking for 
for something coming up. And he said, hey, will you look at this? And and it just worked out. It was really nice. Uh, it ended up being Simon Baker's love interest's husband was who I played. She He was um, sort of in love with this, this woman. Uh, I can't remember her name on the show. And I played her husband. So I was sort of in the way. So they I, they would bring me back, you know, several episodes um, to do that. And that was that was a great experience for me because I got to work several episodes on a you know tv show in los angeles so that was a big deal for me to be able to have that exposure and that experience relatively now, early on you know you get that early on now do you feel a little juice coming your way i mean do you sit there and like because because it's as i always try to explain to people you know back then there wasn't all these tv shows mm-hmm. there was like you know Fox was just, I mean, it was like there was, there no, wasn't right. a yeah. lot. And it wasn't so, Netflix. And yeah. All, and and all so that. when you're on a show, people sit there, a lot of people see you. And The Guardian, I'm sure people were checking out Simon Baker because he's this hunk. Yeah, right. And, right. And, but the <laughs> industry people are watching different stuff like that. Now, did you feel a difference once you started getting the shows? I mean, I honestly have never been aware of that. It never felt to me that, that uh, there was anything that it wasn't it was never like oh now you've done this then you you know everyone knows who you are it just has never felt that way to me it always feels like a hustle to me like i always feel like i'm hustling for the next uh the next job uh that's not to say i mean that's not to say that i haven't worked with certain casting directors or certain directors and that that hasn't led to other jobs i don't mean that but i've never felt like unrelated attention from any role um i just went in for something the other day and i a cast director did say oh i really liked love and mercy they saw this brian wilson movie and i played a drummer in that in that movie now real quick did you did you get that part because you knew how to drum did that help you with the part or because oh know, yeah that was the i couldn't that was the luckiest piece i mean the, we'll, the, we'll get back to it yeah, we'll no, I, I, I want to hear about this the yeah. drumming the drumming so wait so the luck love and mercy yeah well so that was uh my manager uh, Brady McKay said, uh, so you're a drummer, right? You should go in for this part. And so I went in and they, they, incredibly, they didn't have me actually play in the audition, but they just asked, can you really play? And I said, yeah, I mean, I can play. I mean, I was, the part was Hal Blaine, who was a legendary drummer. I said, I'm not, right. I'm not Hal Blaine. I but mean, the fact Hal that Blaine you know who like, he was, they're yeah. probably like, well, this guy has to be a drummer because yeah. most people don't know who Hal Blaine is. Right, right. I was like, I mean, you know, this is huge. This is great. Of course, but I can play. I can keep, you know, I can keep a beat i can play and uh so luckily i got it and then we did have a couple of rehearsals um before the shoot so i imagine if i if i had lied (laughs) i would have been found out but uh but i'm glad i was still nervous because all the the scenes that they did in the studio with uh paul dano as as uh brian wilson all those people in the studio were musicians uh or are musicians some of whom play with brian wilson and so I was the actor who could play drums. And so I felt the real responsibility to step up to that. So I was nervous, but we had those rehearsals. And, uh, and, it, and so the sound, some of the, re- the recordings, that's really us playing. I mean, that was a big deal for um, the producers and the director, uh, Bill uh, Polad, of that movie. They wanted it to be real authentic. This is the, you know, the wrecking crew learning these songs that were going to be on Pet Sounds. And so... Uh, in the movie, that's us playing those songs uh, based on the um, uh, the tapes of Pet Sounds, the with the with the studio musicians actually learning those songs, 
And so I thought that was really cool. So that's actually me playing on some of those things. And they would blend in then the real tracks with what we were doing, but a lot of that was actually us playing. So they, it was really important for them to have an actor who could actually play drums. How was the feedback from the, the guys who had played with Brian Wilson towards you when you played drums? Were they oh, like, they're great. I were mean, they like, hey, you're, you're, you're doing good? I mean, they, did they encourage you? Oh, yeah. They're, they're like the cool, I mean, these guys, these are they're the coolest guys in the world, you know? I mean, these all these musicians, in fact, I just, had just emailed with one of the guys last night. Um, they're just all such nice people. And and that that project was really one of my favorite things to do. I, I must say, I mean, it, it just everyone involved was really really nice, and I think it came from the love and respect of Brian Wilson and and uh, just the people involved. Bill Polat is such a nice guy. He's been a producer and produced some wonderful films over the years, and this was his first project to really direct and see see through. And Paul Dano's great, and all the and, and I got to meet Hal Blaine, who's you know the coolest guy in the world, you know, and, and that was just a real special project. That was really one of my favorite. So here that's 15 years in to being LA and that's one of my, right. You know, favorite things to have ever done. You now, know? Did, did you study tape of Paul, of the blame, how blame when you were doing it? Or did you, or did you want to sit there and bring it your own style or did you sit there and look and say, okay, he might do this with a hi hat, but I, you know, I watched, I watched a bunch of stuff on YouTube, whatever I could. And I listened to all those, um, the uh, pet sounds that they have a box set which had a bunch of the session uh tapes uh on there and they were you know not the they were like the works in progress and so i listened to a bunch of that and there was some studio chatter in there i didn't try to imitate his voice um but i just tried to i read his biography uh that he his autobiography and um and um and bill the director had given me a book called the way you wear your hat which was um about Sinatra and his friends and sort of his code of conduct and how he uh, acted and how he his sort of philosophies in life and because because Hal had played on some Sinatra tunes and it just he wanted me to get into that that way of thinking that you know because Hal's such a cool guy and but but uh, but a real supportive guy too and that's that's portrayed in the film where he you know I had sort of a paternal per, excuse me. Per, paternalistic relationship with Brian you know he was um a, you know a little bit older and but supportive of what Brian was doing and uh, but that was just a great that was just a great deal man I really love that that project was really fun and that was 15 and I will go that was back 15 years we'll in go yeah go back, back. <laughs> no because then I, I'm looking at so then when you're working then you, you got on American Dreams you started mm -hmm. doing that and now that was also now at this time recurring and you know it's not a regular it's not called a regular but it's like a recurring role yeah were you getting any pilots at the time? Because back then there were so many pilots going on. And then as you look at your, you had recurrings and then you look at me judging Amy NCIS. Mm -hmm. I mean, and it's so funny when you look at NCIS 2004 and you're like, the show still is still going number on. one. I mean, I know, it's insane. Right? So I mean, were you getting pilots? Yeah, offered? I was able to get some pilots. You know, it's funny. I mean, it's been harder these last few years to get pilots than it, I was. I was able to do a lot of pilots, you know, one a year, I guess for a couple of years that none of them ended up going. But, uh, um, that was that was a you know that was all those were always you know big big accomplishment just to get that because you have to go through such a process like it's sort of changed now where it's all on tape but you know you for a while there you know you go to the audition you get a callback then you maybe go to another callback and then you go you test for uh, the studio whatever that's making the pilot and you go into this room and there's all these executives and then if you get past that then you go test for the network so then there's even more executives and usually if you're 
reading with the, um, if I'm looking at the person reading with me, usually like the president of the network is right off to their shoulder, <laughs> sort of <laughs> looking at you, judging, hmm, do I want to put this man on my network? I don't know. Now, was there any pilots that you actually, you sat there and said, man, th this is a keeper. Like, is there something you go in? I mean, it's like anything, you yeah. know, I mean, I come in here and I mean, if I'm off my game a little bit, I'll sit there and I'll go, you know what? I, and I mean, I still do well, but yeah. I can tell sometimes if something's on my mind. Is this one of those episodes? No, no, going, no, no, this, not at all. This is not, no, 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 no. It's just weird because I told you about the feedback on the thing. And I know it's fine, but it just, yeah, right. it's so weird. But no, so like, was there, I mean, but then you know when it's, you know, it's a good thing. Like, was there anyone, where, any pilot where you said, okay, this, you looked and said, who was in the cast? This that you said, man, if this doesn't get picked up, I'm, I should go back to being a lawyer, which of course is a great thing to say as an yeah, actor. Right. I have to go back to be a, be lawyer. a lawyer. Yeah, my fallback. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Your fallback's <laughs> an actual lawyer. Not 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 your degree in business, but yeah, an actual right. lawyer. <laughs> I mean, there was one, you know, I mean, well, all of them, you sort of have, you sort of go into it with oh, the yeah. best of intentions and, and optimism and yeah, this is okay. Let's make it work. And you're, it's sort of a t uh, team. We're all in it together, you know, bunker mentality. And, um, but there was one called lies and the wives we tell them to that we, I did for NBC and we shot it twice. We, we shot the pilot twice cause they were, they tinkered with the casting a little bit. Um, but there was a, this was, um, Kyle Chandler was in that before he did Friday Night Lights. And, and he had, had just come off early audition, so he was a known face. Yes, he exactly. And then um, uh, Ed Helms had just come off of uh, wow. Daily Show, and this is but pre office. Uh, the office, okay. and pre, you know, hangover and all that stuff. And then myself, and then a, uh, some wonderful actresses. And it was really funny. I, I just felt like that was the one that was going to go, especially since we shot it twice that i thought that by that second time it was gonna it was gonna happen and, and then of course all those you know those guys went on to do great things and i sort of felt like a career whisperer that everyone that i worked with would go on to do <laughs> bigger and better projects than i did but no but you, but the thing is but i mean you you know as you see after that you, you've worked i mean you've been on your own cold case which mm. i love cold case oh yeah now got uh i played the younger version of orson bean who did you you know i mean he's been I, I around forever but of yeah, course, course uh, yeah. uh the uh, being john malkovich he's so funny in that that movie but anyway did, but now you, were you the killer i was yes so, but, that, but you didn't get arrested but then they always do that flashback yes right when they arrest and they sit there they showed you because you're walking down with i watch that show i love that show i watch it but i know like they always do like at the end they always have a great soundtrack yes yeah. it is all, yeah they so did the guys like or, you know, or he's walking probably then they cut to you and now did you meet did you meet orson i did he was great now yeah. what was it like playing like because basically you have to sit there and go they think I'm going to look like him. I didn't think he was that tall, though. No, I, I mean, I think they cheat it. You know, they don't they don't show us together, <laughs> I guess, ever in the same room. And, I, you know, I guess I looked close enough to him. But, um, yeah, he was great. And then, um, uh, yeah, I was just thinking about, you said if I was a killer. I think I've been a killer. I've been killers, and I've been killed. What were you killed in? I was killed in Justified. Now, was it a good kill? Like, did they show you? Did... It was, a, yes, it was a sniper through the back. I was a bad guy. I was holding someone hostage and, uh, and had a, a scene with Timothy Oliphant, who's amazing, great, great guy, funny guy. And, uh, but I was shot in the back. I think I was killed. What if I, I was, was it Nick Searcy? Did he, did he shoot you? 
<laughs> no, but he's great. He's funny. He'd be good on this. He's been on. Oh, has he? So many Justify guys have been on, and it just uh, yeah, everyone's just they said it was such a great set to be on. Oh man, great producers and great. That was a good. That was really. That was a, one of my favorite jobs too. That and Oliphant, I heard, is cool as I mean, just so the cool. Best guy. Oh yeah, so cool. And uh, so when they shot you, did you see blood? I mean, did, did you feel they anything? Did. I or? think they did a little. You know, they did a little squib, and I think I got I. In Criminal Minds, I get killed. I jumped off a building. I should I should compile all my you should do death that. scenes. No, you know what you should do? You should do what you should do is you should combine all the death scenes, but also how many times have you killed people? Uh I mean few, four times maybe. I've shot yeah, I've shot some people. Like what who did you kill people in? Uh in Justified, I think I killed somebody in Criminal Minds, I killed some people. <laughs> and I should I, and I should uh think about all the times I've been punched or kicked too i know in walker texas ranger i get kicked in the face i think i get punched and um i think i have to look back on that I, I, that would be a funny compilation to see all the times i've been punched or have you ever really got have you really got hit like where like they they screwed up the stunt and you got actually punched no i screwed up a stunt with um on my name is earl i played a funny um uh kind of frantic guy and i'm i'm punching through my trailer uh wall and they had a fake wall there so it would easily go through but of course i was a little low on the punch and <laughs> broke got a boxer's frac fracture hit like the wood and but i i had just been talking to the stunt guy and he was telling stories about jumping off buildings and you know horses and cars and and so i didn't i didn't have the nerve to say that I think I hurt my pinky yeah. on that punch. <laughs> so I just sort of sucked it up and I didn't find out it was broken until after, you know, a few days later. Now you, you said my name is Earl. And mm -hmm. uh, now that was, as you look through your thing that you, you haven't, you didn't, weren't doing a lot of comedies. Ah, right. And now I'm, and, but even though you did improv, how did my name is Earl come up? Cause you were playing heavy shows. I mean, you look house MD, Boston legal. Yeah. And then my name is Earl. And, yeah. and how does that come out for you as an actor when you sit there and you do, even if you you think you're funny, you're getting called for dramas. Yeah. So you you're in that mindset. How do you change your mind to sit there and go, okay, this isn't a normal audition. I have to be funny. I mean, how do you do that? Because it's it's well, something that came out of the blue. It seems. Yeah, like. and and some of the pilots had been comedies. Um, like the the one I was just talking about, uh, lies. Excuse me, lies and the wives. We tell them to or was a sit was a traditional sitcom, you know, pilot. And I but I think it's. I think to some degree it's the same. It's just that uh, the the my name is Earl was just absurd, but I I still in that imaginary world and I'm still concerned with what my concerns are, but they just appear to be funny because it, it's the perspective of that show to sort of uh, make light of this situation. But I, 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 I really kind of think that comedy and drama is the same thing. I mean, it's, it's the same, it just depends on how it's framed or how you, uh, your perspective on it. But I, I kind of think it all is the, it's the same. So you're doing that and then you do the heartbreak kid. Yes. With the Fairley brothers who were great. Now, now you were in fever pitch though. I did fever pitch with, yeah, with Jimmy Fallon. And that was Farley Brothers. Um, and that was Farley Brothers. And then I did uh, a TV show that they did called Unhitched that was sort of short-lived, but with great people. Craig I was, was going to ask you, because it looks like, you know, you, you did, as I said, the Heartbreak Kid. The Farley mm. Brothers, I love the Farley Brothers. They're and, great. And, and they, such good guys. They nice must just guys, be fun man. to work for. Oh, yeah. And they've got, you know, guys that they grew up with or that they knew from Boston that were still, you know, they work with a lot of the same people through all these projects. And uh, 
and just just funny. They're just funny guys and just fun to hang with, you know. And um and the show Unhitched, we did six episodes for Fox and that was a lot of fun. Um it just, you know, for whatever reason didn't work and uh, but Craig Bierko is one of the funniest guys yeah, well, out I said, there. You had Craig Bierko, you had Rashida Jones. I mean, it's it's a yeah, great cast. That's great. also that's one of those shows once again, when we said about shows that you don't, you sit there and go, well, a no-brainer. It's like, mm-hmm. I mean, the Farley brothers. I mean, now, now true, some of their stuff makes me laugh, but some people might look at Kingpin and go, oh, it's stupid. Oh, Kingpin but it's is so, so funny. Oh, it's, and Dumb and Dumb. And Dumb and Dumber, you know, I like the first time, but mm-hmm. when you watch it again, it gets funnier. And a yeah. lot of times movies, and that's the thing, that's their, you know, even the one with Kinnear and Matt Damon stuck yeah. together, it's just, you know what you're going to get. Yeah. You sit there, and then they went with Provincetown, which was a good show, you know, yeah. and- well, I mean, and it's something about Mary. I mean, right. that's, oh, that's that's just yeah, classic. Crazy. Yeah. So, so what is it like when you get on a show like Unhitched and, and you know, they did you get the audition because you knew them? Did that help you get in the door or what, that, how did that happen? I think that was how I got the, yeah, the initial audition. But then I still had to go through the, you know, the testing process and all that stuff. It wasn't like, hey, will you do this? It was, I still had to sort of prove myself. And um, I really had fun with that audition. With Craig was already cast, and he was in the room, and I read with him, and we had a great time together. And I think that helped helped sort of seal the deal. And then, um, but you know, it's just hard to because you get all these people together, and there were some really funny writers on that show, and then they're funny, and it's just you know, there's just such a um, an X factor in anything when it actually works, it's amazing. I'm, I think it's amazing that anything ever gets made at all and that it's, it comes together at all, but especially if it's then successful or funny or, or, um, you know, wins an award. I mean, you know, who knows how it all comes together, you know? Yeah. Cause you're also involved in the show Terriers, which was, you know, oh, which is a great show. And I know yeah. Thief Sutton was on the writers. He's been on the show. And I think Sean Ryan from the show was yeah. involved with that yeah. once again. And Donna Logue, and it's like so great. And, all I mean, so what is that? What, I mean, it must get, it must like you pissed off a little bit because you're you're involved with these shows that you know when you watch it, like my my girlfriend used to watch a show called The Glades on A and A, and good show. Yeah, good. I mean, and then you watch it, and you go okay, and then all of a sudden they don't like. I mean, someone doesn't like it. So I mean, like Terriers, and and I, I mean Unhitched. How did you find out it wasn't get renewed? Did someone tell you, or it just? Yeah, I can't remember how that that comes down because mostly in this in the uh, you know pursuing acting jobs i always say it's passive rejection because you 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 know if i audition for something today and it shoots next week and you don't hear anything and you think well i know they were shooting <laughs> tuesday it's, so now it's tuesday i guess i didn't get it uh but uh i you know i think we just heard you know yeah well they weren't going to renew it and you know i you know i'm sh- sure the ratings were probably indicative maybe they, it wasn't what they wanted it to be but i mean gosh i don't know it's such a hard such a t- tough thing you know but uh but the thing with about you is you you've you've, you've been always working on quality projects. I mean, my name and Earl was, my name is Earl's a funny show, Cold yeah. Case, all the shows. And as you look through, then you end up getting on Parks and Recreation. Yeah, which, which was I mean, so fun. How did that come about? Because I know Jim O'Hare was on and he said that show was just so fun to work. He said, first of all, he said, Amy Poehler is great. Because I mean, even when she was going through a divorce and stuff like that, yep. she always came on to the set. She was never a bitch. She always smiled. It was her show, yep. a successful show. And she would, and he said like, when he was sitting in the office sometimes, she would just have to sit there because that's what they do. That's your scenes. Yeah. So how did that come about? Did, I mean, and, and uh, it was a recurring role for you, which must have been great. Which, yeah, I didn't. I didn't know if it was gonna. I, I was hoping. I mean, I think I had auditioned a couple times. I remember auditioning for The Office. Uh, 
before that, you know, going in for Jim and then uh, the role of Jim. And then I think I that maybe that same casting office called me in for Parks and Recreation. And I'd gone in maybe once or twice before. And then this part came up and I, I saw that it was going to be this campaign manager for uh, Amy Poehler's character. And I thought, oh, this would be great. Maybe I could come back. And, and it, you know, ended up working out. And I, I could see... When it was ending, I could tell that my, you know, it was time for my story to end, and I was so bummed because Amy is such a wonderful person to work with, and I got to work with Rashida again, uh, Rashida Jones, and uh, yeah, I think it came from Amy on down. You know, I mean, she's so funny and thoughtful, and she knows, you know, everybody's name, and you know, it's how it should be. Right. It's, that's how it should always be. You know, and uh, and that was yeah, that was a real real treat for me what's it like though when you w- go back and you work with like a rashida jones like you also went back and you were on the mentalist i mean yeah, what's that like simon again now, do, you, yeah. do, you, do they remember you i mean yeah but look, i mean rashida was closer but simon that was a while ago that was a while ago and i guess though since i was on since i was like a recurring role on that show he still he kind of remembered me from that but uh uh we are <laughs> it's a funny story with simon there was one day on the on the uh on the guardian years ago and i it was it, I don't know if he was having a bad day or so. I don't know, but it, it's a funny story in my family. We always laugh about this line. I, uh, the 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 director photographer was the the director of photography was telling me something like, "Hey, I need you to be over here at this point," you know, whatever. And so I just said something to Simon like, uh, "Okay, so Simon, I guess I'll you know you, you're going to be over here and I'll do." It was just a, like a blocking issue, and I was just checking with him. He goes, in his Aussie accent, he's like, "Yon yon, mate." <laughs> So it's like welcome to Hollywood. Like figure you got to figure this out on your own. So that, in my family, we always say that to each other. You're on your own, mate. <laughs> but it was good to run into him again uh, on the, and work with him again on the Mentalist. He's 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 a good dude. And I also got to be on Masters of Sex, mm-hmm. which must be great because one, my girlfriend did background on that. Oh, and, cool. Uh, she said what's cool is you know the wardrobe. Of course, any of these shows, it's so much harder for the woman. Like my girlfriend does a lot of background. She's you know she's moved out here. She doesn't want to be an actress, but she always gets booked. Oh, that's great. And like, you know, she does one movie, you know, like, like the OJ thing. It takes place in the seventies in the nineties. So you have to go in with curls. And yeah. then she is like, I haven't curled. She has long, long hair. She's like, for best sex, she has to curl her hair. And so it's, it's such a process for them because it's a different thing. But for guys, it must be great because they're just, they must be, uh, which was also a surprise. They booked you because you're tall. Yeah. Well, I guess I was seated most of the time, okay. <laughs> but, uh, but my stuff was with Sarah Silverman and she's, she's great. Um, uh, and I was her setup date on the show, um, and I'd met her years ago, and she's wonderful to work with, and um, she's pretty tall too. Um, but yeah, I got to wear those. You know, I've I've had a bunch uh, like the uh, Cold Case and the sh- movie I just did Trumbo, where it's all in the pat, all the great old suits and hats, and that's always fun. That always kind of helps um, helps me get into that world. You know, when you're having to dress up in that different different attire that's sort of you just feel differently in the different cut of a suit or different hat or different shoes you know that sort of thing it just helps you uh get into that in that world and when i did that movie with this movie trumbo uh that's that's coming out now is that coming out on christmas no thanksgiving day it's out in la and new york now and maybe a couple other theaters and and a now, couple other cities but then it'll go wide i think in thanks around thanksgiving now there's gonna be oscar buzz about that i hope that'd i mean be great and cranston i mean cranston's just Brian, cranston's such, wonderful you know, yeah what was it like working with him because everyone says the guy is so great to work with and and he's even people who said you know back when they worked with him on seinfeld yeah they said he always had something and then malcolm in the middle they just said 
he's one of those guys who just doesn't care. He'll do anything. Like if you say, hey, go walk down the street with a, a feather up your ass, he'll He'd go, we'll, we'll make the project better. Yeah. Okay. And he'll do it. Right. Which must be great to be an actor, to work with someone. Absolutely. Where there's, he's one of the, I mean, he's done that transition. I mean, now he's taking over movies, but you know, he's done the TV. You know, he's, mm-hmm. he's won the, you know, the awards. He went on the stage to play mm-hmm. you know, Roosevelt, you know, and that, which that movie just got shot. Yeah. LBJ. Yeah, I'll be yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So he did that. So now he comes this, and he and he's taking these roles that are are real life people. Mm-hmm. And Trumbo is such, you know, I mean, is a great story, a great writer. Mm-hmm. What is it like? I mean, did, did you have a lot of scenes with him, or what? How did you and how did you get to that movie? Was it did they know you? I mean, because you see the play like Trumbo, and then you played uh, the the Beach Boys. So you're playing some once again. You're playing two movies that you're different generations. Which must be great as an actor. Oh, it's so fun and. um well, Brian is 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 that kind of actor. I mean, he's a uh, um, he's doing whatever needs to be done to to help tell the story. And there's a wonderful clip of him explaining his thoughts about acting on on YouTube. About it may have been after he won an Emmy, uh, and he said that when he realized that it, ah, shoot, I can't remember exactly how he put it, but it was that he realized just. When he was in going in for an audition, it, he understood his role in the bigger story, that it wasn't all about him. It was how can I serve the the story? And he said that's when he started working. Is when he made that he made this switch in his mind. And he's just that kind of guy, you know. He's a, a collaborative, supportive guy, you know, cool guy. You know, he's just got that charisma and talent, and you know. And then Jay Roach, the director, is such a, a kind guy and 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 funny and you know a, a pleasure to work with that it just makes the whole experience better and when i was doing there's a scene in trumbo where i'm i'm coming to um tell my boss in the story that i need to speak with him and i have these files that are you know have this information about some financial records that are uh, you know out of order and uh they were never seen on on the screen but but the art department had created this great you know these charts and these uh, uh spreadsheets and these uh photocopies of uh tax forms from the 40s and and so it just helped to make it so real and authentic and i think uh that's what i love about making movies and working this business is that that collaboration from all these different departments all these people doing the things that they do best to to help tell the story whatever that story is and so here are these, you know, they they didn't know if this would ever be shown on screen or not, but they said, oh, I figured Jay would like this. And so they, you know, everyone's doing it to help support the the, the greater cause, you know, to tell the story. And Now your character, Robert Stripling. Stripling, yeah. Stripling, yeah. Is that a real person? Real real person. And luckily he had a, a biography as well. I read his his autobiography. Now what, who is he in, the, in context to the story? He was the uh, chief investigator for the House and American Activities Committee. Um, and I, as Robert, well, I was not in Congress, but I worked for Congress. Um, I had a boss in Congress. Um, I'm just blanking on his name right now, but... Um, Stripling was um, from Texas, had worked in various offices, and I, I think he was a lawyer, and um, and and was sort of a, a pawn. I don't want to say a pawn, but but uh, there were other factors at play. But he was just doing what he thought 
was right. And so that, that was sort of the approach I took to it is that I, you know, even though the, in retrospect, the House on American Activities Committee seems, you know, it was heavy handed and it did some real damage to some people's lives, I think unnecessarily. Um, I, as Robert Stripling was just trying to do what I thought was right and, and root out these communists that we thought were a problem and, and, um, and see that through. And so that was the sort of the position I took, you know, is I'm just doing what, what I think is, is best for the country, you know? Now, is he still alive? He's not. No. Okay. Now did, did, and, and did any of his family reach out to you at all? Or, or do you think they may, cause right now with social media, you can get in touch with someone. If someone says, Hey, you know what? Someone played my dad, you know, yeah, and they you can know, sit there that... and go like, like Spencer Garrett was on last week. Mm-hmm. And he played, uh, in the, in the, the other movie with, uh, Cranston. Oh, uh, the one about LBJ. Oh, oh this new one, the, yeah. the LBJ. Well, well, he played someone who was real and, and he actually talked to his nephew and he oh, got wow. some insight. Do you ever think that like some, you know, like people might come out? Cause also, you know, the guy, people won't probably won't like him that much on screen. Right. I guess it depends on your, yeah. However you on your view, view of how you view yeah, it. The, yeah. So then it, it brings someone now, it brings someone back into the eye where like his kids probably never heard anything about that. Right. I mean, do right. you ever think, I mean, have, I mean, what I mean, what, how would you handle that if someone said, "Hey, you know, you didn't do it." I mean, if they said you did a great job, you'd be like, "Yes." <laughs> hey, thanks. Or they yeah. say, "Hey, that was my dad, you jerk." <laughs> yeah. I mean, how would you handle that as an actor? Because it's oh, something gosh, you have I to be very know. tactful, even though you know you did a good job. Yeah. I mean, I I would just hope that that they would appreciate that you know that I was just conveying my interpretation of those events. You know that 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 I was being true to what I felt had to be done in those imaginary, you know, that, I mean, I say imaginary circumstances, but I mean, those portrayed circumstances, I guess, since they were based on fact, but, um, I mean, I, and we weren't doing, it wasn't, we were, it, the movie doesn't demonize, uh, you know, stripling or, uh, I mean, I guess Hedda Hopper comes, comes out, her, uh, Helen Mirren's character is really sort of the, the villain, I guess, in the movie. And, uh, but I don't think that, uh, you know, stripling wasn't demonized in this in any way. I think, you know, it just shows, you know, uh, and just doing what I thought was best, you know, but I, I didn't meet, I did meet some of, uh, um, Trumbo's kids that are now grown, they're women, uh, wonderful. They're his, two of his daughters and they were on set a couple of times and they're wonderful people. So that was a real treat for me too. So what's it like for you? Because you're going back from movies to TV, mm. and you know it's it's got because it's a different uh, setup, different I mean, pace, I guess. Yeah. Different, and, uh, and so I mean, you're probably used to TV where you know you have to get it done in a, in a week. Right. The eight, you, usually those like shows like Criminal Minds, it's it's eight days, an eight day shoot for each episode, and you know for for me, I'm usually in just a handful of those days, you know, just for, depending, you know. Which, how big. which must have been great when you were Hawaii Five O because oh, yeah. you, you get there. I mean, everyone go says you go that. there and they keep you for eight days, yeah. even if you only work two days. Yeah, exactly. So now, how was that? Was that great? Uh, and how many days did you work in Hawaii Five O? Uh, yeah, probably just a day or two. But and so I, you just hung out. Yeah, and I think I even asked to stay another day or two. You know, so they and then I, you know, they put us up and then I pay for the extra days for the in the hotel, but they still fly. You know, yeah, fly you back. It's great. And same thing with, uh, I just did NCIS New Orleans and that was shot in New Orleans. And I think it just worked out that I worked on the first day 
in the last day of that episode and it spread out over two weeks or something somehow. So I got to spend a bunch of time in New Orleans. What was that like going back to New Orleans? Because you said growing up, you were an hour away. So you probably went to New Orleans. Yeah, and and I had cousins there. So what's that like going back as an actor? I mean, because it's it's a full circle almost. You know, you started off there like not even thinking you'd ever be an actor. No, right, I know. And so what's that like? must be very cool. That was very cool going back. Well, and to re-experience New Orleans as an adult uh, and and to uh, experience New Orleans outside of, you know, Bourbon Street and and the typical things that maybe we went, uh, you know, over in, as a kid or went to in high school and so it was really there's so many great restaurants and you know obviously great music and and Frenchman Street and uh, great bands, uh, Mashia Lake and the Little Bighorns a particular favorite of mine and some people I played with here in L.A. have moved there um, to play some music. Um, I play I played drums. I filled in for a guy in a band called Vaude and the Villains, and they are a big, like, 15-piece band and play a lot of New Orleans-style music, and they have burlesque dancers and all this great stuff. And uh, um, Oh, I wanted to play you that Levon. I'm sorry, I went off on a little tangent here, but about drumming. We were talking about Levon Helm, who's one yeah. of your influences. Oh, yeah. Now, now, what made you decide to get back to playing the drums? You said you know, said you got back into it like twelve years ago, or yeah. I mean, what made you sit there decide because you were acting, you had free time, or yeah, uh, and uh, and some friends of mine were musicians uh, that I'd met out here, and uh, and I just wanted to hang out and play music, and so that we used to get together uh, every Saturday for a long time. A, a guy, a friend of mine, Rob Pointer, who's also an actor and writer and a great drummer, and we would get together in this and we called ourselves pool house and it was this uh uh back house in this uh somewhere further north uh, i can't remember somewhere in the valley and uh and we would get together and it was just all improvised we were just whatever happened whoever was there we'd come and play and uh guitars piano whatever we could get whoever could come that saturday we would just we would just start playing and making noise and seeing what would happen and and so that was really uh, influential to me and then we just and so just one thing has led to another and I've started playing with different bands and I play with I play every uh, Monday night here in town at a place called the Varnish downtown um, we do like old like blues and jazz like Billy Holiday kind of stuff uh, in a great cocktail bar and um, uh, I play in a band called Albert and we recorded some stuff at Levon's barn his studio in woodstock actually this is after levon died but we we contacted the engineer up there a guy named justin Gwip, and we uh recorded some stuff up at levon's i brought you a cd too i'll leave it with you now no how did you get the how did you meet the guys in this band albert how did you meet them uh from various just various configurations various musicians and playing different bands and and we just sort of we like oh let's do this and i like you and we kind of all some guys from Texas, some guys from out here, uh, just a combination of things, you know, and, um, uh, some of the guys I play, I play in a, in a 
sort of a church band every Sunday uh, in Santa Monica, this place called Thad's, kind of a non-church church. Um, and then some of those guys and then some guys I knew from Texas. And it's just like a big, big combination. And and uh, we, we were inspired by a guy named Albert Eiler, uh, who was this avant-garde jazz player. But we, we sound nothing like that. I always say we sound we sound like the kinks meets the band. So, so okay, so so you do that, but then your other band, well, the the one you play at the non-denominational church, uh, the, well, oh. the varnish is blues, right? And and then you play, you're mixing the Kinks with the band, which is which is very different. And I like both <laughs> bands, which is that's a weird. That's like one of the things that that's one of the things you go, okay, this is probably really good because it's just so different. You know, it's like Lola and you know, take the load off. Yeah, know? right. Like, All together, know, take take the load off Lola. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And now and now this and now, do you guys play live with Albert? Yeah. We uh we we've been playing once a month at Fado Do, kind of an out of the way place on I've Adams. Heard of that. Yeah, it, and uh, we're actually the first place when I played with Bond the Villains, they played at Fado Do, and that's how I. Now where's that at? It's Adams. It's one like a couple blocks south of the ten, a couple blocks west of La Brea. Um, F A I S then D O D. I've heard of Fado Do. Yeah. And uh, and I think we're we're playing the piano bar in Hollywood coming up maybe this Saturday, um, and uh, a couple different you know we played at an uh, Atwater at Bon Vivant you know, different places but yeah we we play out live so we've got two guitars a bass keyboard uh, saxophone trombone and the me on drums you should play at the baked potato oh I know right that's a great spot I've they, seen some I, great I, music my there. friend Dustin plays there once like once a month a month and I went there and it's a uh, it's a cool little place. Oh, yeah. it, it's like so nondescript. Like you walk in, it's just like in the middle of, you know, is, I guess that's Barham or is that Quanga? Yeah, that's, was it Quanga? Yeah. I think it's Quanga. It's just like you're driving down and you go past some strip malls and then yeah. you walk in there and it's dark and it's dingy. And uh, and you sit right next to, I mean, you're yeah, right next like to the band. Yeah, my friend was playing yeah. right there and I was sitting at the bar. I'm like, wait, oh. right here. There he is. So I think now, I sat right behind the drummer the last show I saw there. Yeah. So now, now, how do you find? I mean, who are some of your real musical like in your life? Who are some of the musical like if you if you sit there and go down like let's say if you sit there one night and you're hanging out and you want to listen to some CDs like you know. I mean, I love it. I love so much. I mean, yeah, that's a whole other. We could have a whole hour on music. I mean, I I, I grew up. I just loved music. I always have. I've always had listened to music in my spare time or when I'm driving or. Or I mean, I've always I always enjoyed going to you know record stores and finding things, discovering things. Um, you know, blues, jazz. I love old rock and roll. I love uh, you know current stuff. Uh, you're, you're from Jersey, right? Um, there's a drummer named Billy Martin who is from Inglewood, uh, and he's in a band called Modesky Martin and Wood. Um, and they're sort of a I don't know how to describe them. They're, they're my last guest today is from Inglewood. Is that right? He's older. It's an actor named Tom Wright. He's, oh, wow. He's, nice. He's 62, though. So oh, great. Yeah. So I, I've gone to some... They, Mineski, Martin, and Wood had, was a big influence on me. They they had a music camp that you could go to in uh, outside of Woodstock, actually. And that's how I first saw Levon's barn as I went to... When Levon was still alive, he had a, did a thing called the Midnight Rambles, and they had all these great musicians playing in his barn. And he, you know there would be maybe... 50 people or 100 people, you could buy a ticket and watch them play. But uh, I had gone to some band camps, uh, you know, a few years ago. I, I ended up going to four or five different summers to study with Modesky, Martin, and Wood, and they would do these different rhythm exercises, and, and they would have great uh, guests come and play. A guy named John Schofield, a great guitar player, a guy named uh, 
Mark Ribot and tremendous guitar players played with like Tom Waits and all these wonderful people. And, um, so that was a big influence, uh, you know, current influence on me. Um, and then now, now I think they're all doing different things. And Chris Wood, the bass player is in a band called the Wood Brothers and, uh, um, and John Badesky plays all over. And anyway, that, that, that's a, but I listen to all kinds of stuff. I mean, I, I love, I read the Keith Richards thing. I love the stones, you know, I mean, when I was a kid, you know, like I said that new Orleans flavor and then I, but you know, I loved like ACDC. I would go see, like I saw them like five times, you right. know, uh, growing up and, um, you know, big fan of Wilco. I'm pals uh, with the, the bass players from the South. Uh, John Stewart is from kind of new Orleans and, uh, I, I mean, he was in a band called the Hilltops that played at some high school parties, I think like some proms or something that's when I was funny. growing up that's and I would funny. trace his career all his life. You know, that's, that's been a real, that's been real fun for me. We have a few minutes left. Oh yeah. Sorry. I want to know about, uh, uh, you've done, you've done, you didn't recently do a, a Geico commercial. No, was it, uh, progressive. Yes. With Peter Breitmeier was in it. Oh, is he the the guy? One of the guys in the yeah, suits. Yeah, those guys, oh, those guys are great. Those guys are funny. So, so what's I mean? Did you get noticed because your commercials? I know you did a McDonald's one too. Didn't you? Some did you? sometimes, and I had a guy, a uh, sports guy, recognized me from Fever Pitch. Like you know, if the Boston Red Sox fans would might say something to me because of Fever Pitch, but I don't. I don't ever really experience. I don't experience it that much. You know, like I. Uh, but but yes, yeah, some some with that. So, like people that I from home will say, oh, they'll message me and say, oh, I saw you on this and whatever. But just like walking around here, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know if people know who. It's not because you're tall; they can't yeah, right. see. They, they're like, <laughs> wait, wait. They, they go, is he a Laker? Yeah, does, does he play guard for the Lakers? Yeah. So now, 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 your band plays. Okay, now where can people find your music? Where can they find your music? Yes, uh, Albert is albertband.com. Like Albert, A L B E R T. Yes, A A A L B E R T band all one word.com. And then I play every Monday at the varnish downtown in, which is inside of a place called Coles on sixth street, but like sixth and main from every Monday night from like nine to 12, we, we play there. Now, what will they find when they go to the Albert website? They'll see the pictures and they'll see us, uh, a, some videos. Uh, so a recent performance we did and they'll get a, you can get a, you can listen to all the songs on the album that we recorded in Woodstock. And, uh, Justin Gwip, would play is the engineer and producer of the album and he played drums when levon would play mandolin at the midnight rambles justin would play drums okay. but then justin also recorded levon solos solo records up there okay and, okay, and then can they get the album on itunes or anywhere? yeah or, okay. it's on itunes and you know like at Bandcamp or whatever that is called that site they can listen soundcloud and all that stuff cool. well but, I want to thank you for coming on. Oh, thank no, no, you for having me. No, I hope no. it wasn't too... Uh, do you tweet? Are you a Twitter? Do you, I, you I have a tw Twitter account, and I'm not very good at it. What, what's and your I, Twitter, though? What is it? Uh, at Johnny I Sneed? I am Johnny3. Okay, well, you should just do at Johnny Sneed. I think maybe that's my Instagram is I am Johnny3. I don't know. We'll, we'll uh, figure it out. Sorry about that. But yeah. follow Johnny Sneed. It's S-N-E-E-D. Yeah. Go, go follow him on Twitter. And then and I uh, albertband.com. Yep. So follow him, people. And check out. Go to his IMDb and check out his past shows and go watch some of the stuff. And uh, follow me on Twitter, at Cooper Talk. That's at Cooper Talk. Also, uh, Instagram, Cooper Talk 1. Because there's a Cooper Talk. I don't know who yeah. it is. I, I don't yeah. know who it is. Uh, go to my website, coopertalk.net. There's over, there's 440 episodes. I just posted one oh my today. Gosh. Good for and you. Uh, you can email me, Cooper, 
at coopertalk.net. I always respond. iTunes or Stitcher, coopertalk.net. And if you have a Google, uh, like an an Android phone or tablet, go to the Google Play Store. There's a Cooper Talk app. It's free, and you can listen to all my episodes on there. It's pretty cool. And don't forget my other project, StopTheSalt.com. StopTheSalt.com. It's my. It's a great Christmas present. It's my uh, low-sodium cookbook. Uh, I remember when I went through my health problems. I had to change my diet, so I wrote this cookbook. It's got uh, 120 recipes, all easy to make. No pictures to intimidate you. No list of long ingredients. There's no cumin. If you don't have cumin, don't worry. It's just good, healthy eating. And you go, you make the recipes. They're not, they're, and it's good food, and it's not expensive. So go to that. You can get it at StopTheSalt.com. You can get it at Amazon or Barnes & Noble, but then I don't make as much money. So go to StopTheSalt.com. I'll sign it for you. So go to that. Follow me at Cooper Talk. Remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins. I will talk to you guys next week. Thank you.